Welcome back to Establishing Shot. We're here in the Browning Cinema, um, surrounded by a beautiful fern in, in homage to Zach Galifianakis. Uh, I am Ted Barron. I'm the executive director here at the DeBartolo Performing Arts Center. Joining me, as always, is my esteemed colleague, Richard Herbst, the cinema program manager here at DPAC. Hi, Ricky. Uh, hi, Edward Barron. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting, I just, I thought we needed to get formal for our new year for some reason. But um, we haven't done this in a while, so we need to kind of catch folks up on things going on. But we've also been to uh, we've been to Toronto mm-hmm. recently, so we're going to talk a little bit about what we what we saw, what we what we liked, maybe what we didn't like up uh, up in the Great White North, so. the Great Smoke. Right? <laughs> I hadn't heard that, and I showed up. I saw it on cups. I'm like, yeah, I think you're trying to make that happen. I never actually that I didn't catch that one. I, Great White North takes me back to the uh, Mackenzie Road. Oh yeah, that's, that's going a little that's a little deeper. So, um, you have been furiously uh, going through a bunch of events here at the center at the cinema. Um, mm-hmm. I know you've had a bunch of really great panels and things over the last couple of weeks. So, what's, and we got uh, some more coming up. Yeah, what's new? What's what's new? Well, on the panel side of things, we have two uh, two that are coming up that I think are really exciting. Uh, we're going to have um, the very popular documentary Thirteenth about the prison industrial complex and generally the prolonged discrimination of African-Americans in the United States uh, screening here uh, through the Center for Social Concerns. And afterwards, we're going to be doing uh, dialogue circles um, as a way, uh, kind of a test run to see how we talk about films after we see them. And so using the circle process, the circle method, to see if that can uh, help us work through films effectively and in community. And we also have on uh, a week later, uh, that's on uh, October 5th, October 12th, uh, we have uh, an event called the 1967 March on the Pentagon, War, Cinema, and Activism. This is an effort through the Department of English and uh, the Kroc uh, Institute for Peace Studies where we had, um, we digitized um, for the archives for all time a David Ringo newsreel from 1967 of the actual March on the Pentagon. And so we will be showing that here at Notre Dame along with Carolee Schneeman's Viet Flakes. Oh, wow. Um, And that's about together a half hour of programming, and then we are going to have a panel able to place the march in uh, in time and context uh, both back then and today. You probably get people um, talking about uh, Ken Burns' new documentary too because, you know, that's that's kind of – that's out there and – I mean, I just started watching it actually this week. Oh yeah, and it's um, I'm in the mode of you know I'm appreciating the overload of information that he provides, so I'm not <laughs> at the point of being critical of his technique yet, right? Um, because it's the, the the footage is really remarkable the scope the scope of the footage that I've seen so far. So I wonder if he actually references this uh, march on Pentagon the march on the Pentagon footage. I possibly I don't think it's in the film. Yeah. Um, when I think of Ken Burns, I learned how to play the – so the Civil War documentary came out when I was in elementary school, and I learned to play the theme song. <laughs> so when someone would be on like – On instrument, please? Uh, on the piano, oh, sorry. Boy, okay, yeah. So when people would be like, hey, play me a song, like my first go-to memorized <laughs> song was Ashokan Farewell, or however it's pronounced, which was a really weird melancholy song to, yeah. to play during Christmas time. Yeah. Um, but uh, – uh, I think part of, well, part of the reason we're doing this panel is so Ken Burns' documentary doesn't end 
the 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 set of memories for mm-hmm. the war and keeps the conversation going. Ken Burns has a way of, I think, saying, okay, we don't have to talk about this anymore. With this well, it's 18 hours. That's yeah. exhaustive, right? So if you've seen that, you don't need to think about Vietnam beyond that. Right. But, but this actually suggests. I think this will open it up. Certainly Carolee Schneeman's take on Vietnam ain't going to be a lot like Ken Burns's. <laughs> It'll be a different take. Based on her other films. <laughs> It'll be a different take. Oh, yeah. And then we have uh, we have an ongoing series. I'll just run down really quickly. Yeah, sure. Our Sunday Family Films, which were a new effort this uh, this year. That's every Sunday at noon. We have films, and if you are 12 years or younger, you can get in for free. Uh, we have five films uh, this uh, this October. Uh, we start off with D2, The Mighty Ducks. Of course. Uh, uh, which is the home opener of Notre Dame Hockey as well. Oh. And the <laughs> well best tried. of all... The best of all the the Mighty Ducks yeah. uh, films is that, that's that's debatable, I guess, but maybe not for you. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I got my I got my binders. <laughs> got my the, arguments the backup laid D2. out. Yeah. Um, and then my neighbor Totoro, uh, uh, throwing a Miyazaki film in there. Great. Uh, a nature documentary from Disney that kind of went overlooked called Bears uh, from a couple of years ago, and then Tim Burton's feature length. Uh, version of Frankenweenie uh, to start our kind of Halloween process. Mm-hmm. And then on Sunday, October 29th, we'll be showing the early 90s cult classic Hocus Pocus. Oh, boy. That's oh, boy. Be, oh, boy. That's, oh, boy. Hocus Pocus. <laughs> it's big. It's big with the youngins. Yeah, it's right after me. So, like, I didn't quite catch it. It's but huge. I appreciate it's, it. You could do that as a midnight movie. Actually, I know theaters that do it as a midnight screening and, and they pack the house for it. So, um, it's very it's it's a film that I I just don't understand the the cult following of it. But hey, we'll, we'll welcome you. It's there just because I don't get you. And then one other, uh, we're doing a film festival, yeah. and uh, this is the global GBTQ plus film festival, and uh, we have uh, and this is also a, a free event, and we have four films uh, on October sixth and seventh. Uh, we have Chavela, about the uh, Mexican uh, singer mm-hmm. uh, who came out late in life uh, and really was uh, had a, her own unique approach to uh, to being a pop culture icon. Uh, we have The Wound, a film about um, same-sex, same-sex attraction in uh, South Africa. And then Inside the Chinese Closet, uh, about... Uh, uh, these fairs where people go and meet um, uh, other homosexual individuals to pretend to have marriages to appease families, and then so like men meet women and they set up a, they set up like a sham marriage. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool! And then <laughs> cool. not really, but <laughs> interesting. But just but interesting. <laughs> and then XXY, uh, a film from about ten years ago out of Argentina. Uh, about an intersex individual, okay. and so this is this is a collaborative effort, uh, particularly with student government um, and gender studies and film, television, and theater, uh, as well as a slew of co-sponsors. And it, uh, the focus, uh, as you might have seen from the title, is to have uh, human rights issues on an international scale uh, that tie into the LGBTQ plus community and. Uh, different cultures, different, um, uh, different. Well, we could say performances, I guess, mm-hmm. of sexuality, and start the discussion about um, 
different uh, legal systems and different cultures around the world in right. relation to it. So I think that will be that will be uh, really exciting. As and we're well. tying that into we have uh, national theater broadcasts, which are not free, uh, no. but we're uh, they have. Um, your book ending it with presentations of Angels in America, which um, mm-hmm. was just presented in London with um, Andrew Garfield and Nathan Lane, and I forget who else. But 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 a, but a new cast mm-hmm. taking on that piece mm-hmm. some twenty years later after yep. it first came out. And they are two different Sundays, so okay. you don't have to lose an entire day of your life watching both <laughs> Perestroika and Millennium approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And along that, so those are. On the periphery, you yeah. have your RKO series going. Yeah, so and I'm, check in. How's it been going so far? Uh, it's been going great. We have so I'm teaching a course this semester on um, kind of the history of RKO studios, but we're looking at it uh, from a perspective of not just doing a kind of straight up uh, history of the studio, but to try to think about kind of the current iteration of RKO. So RKO was one of the big five Hollywood studios. It's the one that kind of didn't make it to the modern era. It, it has, uh, it, it essentially goes out of business in the late 1950s and then reemerges um, with TV product very briefly, reemerges, has a couple of, uh, it becomes more of a production company uh, rather than a distribution company in the early 80s, but just on kind of select titles, a really small effort. So it's, it, it and now there's an effort to, um, RKO Studios does still exist, uh, but there's an effort to kind of rebrand it and kind of see it as more of a multimedia enterprise. So they've been involved in uh, film production, TV production. They're putting on Broadway shows. Um, and part of their – and one of the advantages that they have is that they have access to all of the original um, uh, scripts that were uh, written for, for the studio in its heyday – of, you know, from the 30s through the 50s. So we're actually going through, in addition to going through the history of the studio, we're actually looking at select um, screenplays and trying to think about how we might modernize them, adapt them for a contemporary audience. And that's led to some really interesting discussions so far. But the films themselves, um, I mean, some are incredibly, you know, uh, popular films of the Hollywood studio era. We had a screening of King Kong, which I thought, you know, we'd have some resistance to as, you know, oh, it's too old, um, went over really, really well. The students really loved seeing something that was, you know, that ambitious for its time as a mm-hmm. kind of a, a blockbuster style film and that the, actually the special effects of the film held up very well. Um, we just showed my favorite one uh, this week, which actually wasn't an RKO film. It was a Samuel – RKO had, had a partnership with Disney – where they released Snow White for them, um, but they also worked with Samuel Goldman Studios, and, and one of the films was uh, Ball of Fire, uh, which we just uh, showed this past week uh, with Barbara Stanwyck and Gary Cooper. By far my favorite film we've shown this semester uh, in the class. And that's a Snow White? Well, it's a play on Snow White, in this, which is funny. We mentioned Snow White, and we're actually watching Snow White in relation to it um, because it's about a group of uh, professors who are writing an encyclopedia uh, and there are seven of them, but then Gary Cooper makes the eighth, and he's trying to write a chapter on American slang, and so he has to find a lounge singer played by uh, Barbara Stanwyck who helps him kind of fill in the gaps, but of course it leads into all sorts of fun little plots. It's written by Billy Wilder and Charles Brackett, who wrote Sunset Boulevard, um, Nanochka, many other studio classics. Really great film to seek out in case you didn't get to see it here, so... Um, but we've got great ones. One of the things about RKO is that they worked with many of the kind of uh, many of the directors from that period who went on to kind of very prestigious careers. 
Uh, Orson Welles very famously, uh, they worked with him on Citizen Kane. We're going to show Magnificent Ambersons. Um, they worked with Hitchcock. We're showing Suspicion. Um, worked with William Wyler on arguably one of the, you know the great uh, the great post-war Hollywood film, which is uh, the best years of our lives, uh, which uh, we'll show a little bit later. Um, but a really uh, RKO had this tension where you know they were kind of in financial trouble for a while, but they were always really invested in uh, kind of fostering a strong uh, a strong slate of artists to work with the studio. So. You'll get to see that. And we've had a great – what's been nice is that we've had this really great audience turnout week in and week out, of which is a mix of students who are in the class, students from other classes who are just kind of you know interested for whatever reason, and then a lot of community members. So um, especially the old uh, studio comedies, it's, it's nice to you know, go, come to the cinema and have it filled with laughter at these, these <laughs> old films that you would think wouldn't necessarily play as well to a contemporary audience, but they really – they hold up quite strongly. So. Is it like uh, like baseball teams that are strapped for cash? And they have to spot young talent. They are kind of like and a then, small market. And then they can't they are, afford them. Yeah, they're a small market team. It is. There's a little bit of that. There's the small market team where you th- you know when the when the when the players develop and they become a free agent and they have to go to and then the Yankees steal them away from everybody. There's a little bit of that, but there's also just bad timing um, where they you know they have they kind of end their relationship with Catherine Hepburn just before she goes into kind of a peak period of her career that's one one of many examples of you know where the studio kind of missed but still within you know the time that they did work with you know some of their uh, more notable stars and, and directors and writers it's it's a, it's a really deep uh, catalog of, of material that we're that we're considering this uh, this semester so it's been a fun course to teach because it's um, it's it's a new approach that we're using for the course but it's also even more fun to present the films to a, to a, to a, a general audience. So great series to come out for. So right. we're having fun with it. Um, but we also had fun up in, uh, up in Canada uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. The Festival of Festivals. The Festi- <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. So um, this was your first trip to the festival? I hadn't been. Okay. You've, been, you've been to Toronto, but oh, not yeah. to the film festival, yeah. of course. Um, but I hadn't been for the film festival. Yeah. So this, for me, I think we were trying. To, I was trying to remember. I think it was my twelfth trip to the festival, um, and I would say this was uh, at least in terms of what, for what I was able to see, and I wasn't able to see as much as I had hoped. I would say it was a pretty good year for the festival relative to other years, um, but uh, I think it was uh, more interesting in terms of. A lot of the things going on around the festival, a lot of the um, just connecting with um, other programmers and other um, other industry folks who are, you know, who are really kind of facing a lot of the same challenges we are in developing our own cinema program here. So, mm-hmm. um, so that was kind of exciting. But um, but you uh, it, it, for you, I mean, I, I hope it was a chance for you to you know really dig in deep on a lot of different films. I mean, the, the festival set up really nicely for that. To, where you're able to see a lot of films within a within a fairly short period of time. Some of the other festivals, mm-hmm. it can be a bit more spotty. High volume and good, uh, varied or good variety mm-hmm. of nations that you're able to see, mm-hmm. uh, as well as themes. I, they're pretty good with their counter programming. Yeah, sometimes I mean, like BPM was up against Call Me by Your Name, mm-hmm. like one morning, and that didn't make much sense. Yeah. There were like two films showing those right. two, but for the most part, uh, I thought that you could really, you could 
you could single things out pretty easily and not feel like you were missing something at the mm-hmm. same time. Um, like an abundance of riches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to start to, you know, in, in our in our uh, rambling structure to our podcast, we're going to start to impose some structures and, and uh, you know, kind of give ourselves a little bit more direction. So if you had three films, what were your top three films? I thought, I thought you were going to do like Robert's Rules of Order. No, no, no. No, okay, okay. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so the three best. Yeah, three best um, for you. I'm going to work, I'm going to work bronze to gold. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. Uh, so uh, Greta Gerwig, uh, yeah. who a lot of people might know from Noah Baumbach's uh, films uh, or 20th Century Women. She's just in. Uh, wrote and directed a film called Lady Bird, and she doesn't appear in it, um, but uh, it is about uh, a high school student in 2002 who's graduated from Catholic high school. I graduated from Catholic high school in 2000, uh, so it was a good uh, Lacanian moment. <laughs> got to see myself a little bit. Um, and I got to realize, like, oh, I'm at that age where I think 2002 looks like 2017. Yeah. Like not being able, like not seeing that change blindness made me like realize so you're oh, not, I'm old. Is it you actually do see like, a difference now? I not not back. not enough. Okay. <laughs> like the clothes, I'm like, those clothes are still cool. <laughs> like, oh, they have a they have a tower PC. Like I get that. Yeah. Like, yeah, they look fine. They can wear that. Um, but it is um, it's a it's a comedy uh, with uh, dramatic touches. Uh, a lot of class issues come out in it, and um, you get to see someone uh, kind of grow up and then backslide and then grow up and then backslide. Uh, and it was a it was just an incredibly well made film. And you're leaving out the you're 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 withholding the most. Cherished part of the film. Oh, the Aunt Jackie, yeah, <laughs> choose that scenery right up. Played by uh, Laurie Metcalf. Yeah. Uh, and, well, and uh, uh, well, because she's such a pushover in Roseanne, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever, she's more of a doormat. To see her have a more authoritarian role mm-hmm. uh, is always a pleasure, and uh, she's great uh, in this. And I would say um, that she'll be, she should win a lot of awards, a yeah. whole bunch of them. Um, and uh, I, now I now I well, I started the bronze silver gold. Okay, wait, wait, wait. wait. Oh, because let's let's so we'll do. A little Are we going every other? Yeah, let's okay. go every okay. other. Okay, good. So good, good. I, so let's because you know this we're imposing new structures. We I have like to it. adapt I like it. to it. So my so my bronze was going to be one. I think your silver, or maybe it's, I think it's it's either your silver or your gold. So okay. I'll, I'll I'll take that off and I'll move another one up to my bronze, which was um, Armando Iannucci's The Death of Stalin. Uh, which is uh, Armando Iannucci, people may know f- uh, as the creator of this, the TV series Veep, which is which is constantly you know sweeping the Emmy Awards, deservedly so. Uh, it is uh, a film that imagines the events surrounding the death of Stalin, as it says in the title, <laughs> but done with um, incredible uh, comedic effect. Uh, uh, Steve Buscemi stars as Nikolai Khrushchev. Uh, Michael Palin plays Molotov. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon Russell Beale plays someone central to all of those events who's who's kind of the nastiest of them all, and I can't remember who he plays. Um, and um, Jeffrey Tambor plays uh, Stalin's brief successor uh, to uh, to the leadership of the Soviet Union. 
And so what's what's great about it is you have all these actors. Some are American, some are British. They all speak in their natural voices. So you know we don't. It, it, you know we always whenever you see these period films, there's always this kind of overwrought effort to recreate accents. They just kind mm-hmm. of threw that aside and let them Smart be move. themselves, yeah. which totally works. Uh, it totally works for this uh, piece because it's a it's a farcical take on the events of uh, surrounding Stalin's death. And it totally goes to another level because they're all kind of jockeying for position and trying to see who will ultimately take over, even though we know that Khrushchev ultimately becomes the leader of the Soviet Union. It's fun to watch this kind of play between the actors as they're, um, as they're bouncing off of each other. But there's this, the film goes to a whole other level um, when Jason Isaacs comes in. He's the leader of the Red Army. Uh, speaking in this very kind of rough uh, Cockney accent. And he kind of gives you, if you know Armando Iannucci's work, um, he also directed the film In the Loop, which was based on the TV series The Thick of It, mm-hmm. which was the precursor to Veep. Totally recommend it if you haven't seen it. Um, he plays more of a, a typical Iannucci-type character, foul-mouthed, uh, tears people apart, uh, but he's hilarious in Is the he process. Like, uh, James Gandolfini and uh, like the military. He's no, I would say he's more like um, the guy who played Peter uh, Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. He's more of the Peter Capaldi. Who looks like my con law professor. <laughs> <laughs> I was, he I, looks I, like I several watch, people. I can't watch that season, yeah. Doctor Who, because oh yeah, no. Um, well, then you'll have trouble with the thick of it because he's kind of he's the best part. Oh of yeah, the he's of great. It. In Malcolm, oh, I forget his character. Malcolm Tucker, right? Is that his name? I think that's mm-hmm. his name. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the greatest TV characters ever. Uh, so Jason Isaacs is more in that mode. The rest of the movie, if you're, you know, if you if you're an Iannucci fan and you like that part of his work, which I do, um, you don't get a lot of that, but you get um, it's it's a little more the 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 humor. While it's broad, it's it, you don't quite get that kind of verbal interplay that you that you get from those other pieces. But uh, still worth seeing, and um, uh, you know, just a, a really kind of fun. Fake history of, <laughs> of Stalin's death, <laughs> although who knows how fake it was. But uh, interesting, interesting portrait. So that takes you to your silver. My silver. So my silver is my favorite film. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that it gets that accolade, if nothing else. Uh, but uh, it's a Bertrand Dumont film uh, called Jeanette. And then it translates to the childhood of Joan of Arc, right? Yes, I think is the yeah the full title is yeah. after the colon. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a um, film that follows uh, Joan of Arc at two stages in her life when she is uh, 11 and 15 or so. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, it, um, uh, it presents a lot of the theological questions <laughs> that someone who is going to lead herself into a religious war might ask of herself and God. Mm-hmm. And it is framed through uh, childhood dialogue, and, but yet obviously written by a French existentialist <laughs> and uh, has a mix of both uh, the adaptation of Schoenberg's opera, Moses and Aaron and Jesus Christ Superstar, mm-hmm. in that they go into the desert and it is a musical where it sounds like they're singing uh, responsorial psalms, only it's over top of electronica heavy metal music. Mm-hmm. Uh, that obviously isn't going to be an, a connection most people would <laughs> put together, but it works. It works. And the choreography, uh, which 
uh, has uh, looks like something like junior high kids might do <laughs> for a dance. Uh, it's, it's total merit of the film. And it has elegance to it. A lot of head banging. Yeah, um, I was going to say a lot of hair, like the hair, the hair flipping. I'm still stuck on the hair right. flipping from this film. Uh, but it was it was winsome from the bat mm-hmm. uh, from the get go, and it was I was nervous because. The laughter, because it is so bizarre, uh, you you get concerned that it can't uh, sustain itself over the the ninety minutes, but it does. Yeah, it, it really works, yeah. um, and so that is something that uh, I'm sure we'll bring here. Uh, and Bruno, it's Bruno Dumont, his films are they tend to oh, be. Oh, Bruno, this, I said Bertrand before. Sorry, Bruno, well, he so his earlier films tend to be these very intense kind of character studies that really kind of, heavy, they, they, sort of they beat you over the head and something's happened with him where he's just taken this we were joking like did he switch his medication or something so he's he's just he's in a lighter phase of his career mm-hmm. um, I haven't seen uh, the film uh, Lil Kin Kin uh, which is supposed to be phenomenal um, and it, it also is about a group of young people so mm-hmm. it might probably worth seeing in relation to this um, but he's just he's just he's just gone in a totally different direction um, just much more lighthearted. Even though I wouldn't say this is a lighthearted film, but it's just relative to his other works, it's definitely maybe he'd be really offended that we're calling it lighthearted. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's no. true. Yeah, it's true. But but I would. But if you. But you know, relative again. Mm-hmm. I true. would say relatively. And the the theological overtones that are mm-hmm. that are in his movies become front and center here, and so maybe that. Yeah, it'll be in, we got to get some theologians looking at this one because this will be. Uh, this, we'll, we'll get we'll see what they see what they make of it. So, um, and there's all these other interpretations of Joan of Arc. So this uh, this is you know this is not one that's going for a kind of naturalism. Although there is a naturalism yeah. to it. I mm-hmm. mean, it's but it's in naturalism in the sense of you know trying to be you know who knows how historically accurate this, yeah. these events are. But well, yeah. and importantly, I mean, it does it, try to capture her visions, and you don't go to war. I think right. that's what, or she's not. There's no trial. There's no right. burning at the stake. Right. Etc. Yeah, um, the stuff we usually get. Mm-hmm. That was that was my bronze, which I I wanted to you know I took off my list just to give you a chance to talk through. But it's a great film. I'm really excited for us to show it mm-hmm. at some point. And your silver would be my silver would be a film uh, that I just had no expectation for. Uh, it's a film that showed in Munich uh, earlier this year, and and I had read a write up on it that didn't look that appealing, and so I kind of went to it because I wasn't sure what else to see. It's a film titled The Garden. And oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name of the director. But um, it's a the, one of the things notable about the director is is it's a female director, and that we're seeing a lot of uh, films directed by women coming out of Germany right now. They're really really strong. Mm-hmm. The most notable being uh, Marinade's uh, uh, Tony Erdman, which we showed here last year. A, a runner up on my list is a film uh, titled Western, which is by uh, Valeska Griesbach. Uh, which is another great film. I won't get into it. But The Garden is a film about a family that has a kind of, they have an estate in the country. It's their summer home. Um, but it's, but that's, I don't want to make it sound like it's too fancy because it's these very kind of ramshackle cottages. And they're, uh, they have a garden, which is kind of a shared space between the cottages. And um, the matriarch of the family passes away, which kind of sets the film 
film's events in motion, and it, it involves you know the last summer that they're essentially spending together before they're they're planning to sell off the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it takes uh, it kind of indulges in the stuff that I typically really respond to favorably in films, which is you know this kind of slice of life portrait of just you know kind of kids hanging out in the backyard every day in the summer. So. There's like a high point in the film is that, you know, one of the kids gets a slip and slide for their birthday and they just watch the kids just, you know, kind of going on and on in the slip and slide. <laughs> and, you know, the kids are, you know, they're trying to play in the backyard and they get their their ankles tangled up in a, in a garden hose at one point. And they just they give space for these very naturalistic moments that are very evocative of, you know, not only su- a summer kind of experience. Um, but also, it's all set in the 1970s, so the look of it is very for you know for someone of my age who grew up in the 70s and remembers these you know having these kinds of plastic lounge chairs in our backyard in the summer. Uh, it brings all of that all of that experience back uh, in a really nice way. Um, so I just thought it's a it's a film that that has kind of stuck with me because it it if, you know kind of effectively moves in between the different family members and what their experiences are. Um, you know, ge- different generations. There's the older generation that is that has kind of more of a formality to their existence versus the kids who are just, you know, just loving the the space that they can kind of explore uh, within that world. So, just a, a really nice piece that I'm hoping we see more of. Do you think it will? Is that going to pick up speed? It doesn't sound like a film that I think. It, I think it mostly was overlooked. I mean, most people hadn't heard about it. I think, yeah. and, and, and it and didn't sadly, have a lot of buzz at the festival. Well, I, and I, a lot of people weren't. I, I didn't. You know, I, I think a lot of people didn't see it. Um, I think you know, in terms of reductive uh, film screening, you know, kind of decisions, it's probably going to be overshadowed by Western, which right. is the other German women's, you know, German film directed by a woman, mm-hmm. um, which is which is unfortunate because I think this is a film that. You know, if you find it out there, you know, you should definitely see it. I think you, I think you'd like it. So, all right, the big winner, the big winner, top prize. Um, well, uh, Lucretia Martel, uh, who is part of the new Argentine wave uh, from the '90s, um, not the most prolific filmmaker, um, comes back after a decade off, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, she made an adaptation. Um, of uh, Zama, and uh, it is amazing. Um, it's important. It's one of the films I would say like this is an important film. Um, I'd say it's a perfect film. Like she doesn't make any mistakes, mm-hmm. uh, and it is about a low-level magistrate judge uh, from Spain in colonial Argentina, and you see the weight of. Uh, colonialism's hierarchy stacked on top of him, all the pressure that puts on him, and how he sublimates it at times, and also um, how he doesn't do as good a job with it and is kind of a a filthy person. Uh, And it is one of a handful of films about life's life's futility. (laughs) I think we're playing at Toronto. That seemed to be a common theme. Mm -hmm. Uh, but this one in particular, you get to see, uh, I think, a pretty fresh uh, view of colonialism uh, and uh, also how it would very quickly translate to a lot of international relations that currently occur. Uh, throughout it, there are times when you you see something and think, oh, this was 
similar to that event. This makes sense in lieu of that new story. Uh, so throughout the film, uh, which really does lock you into a couple of centuries ago, uh, you still feel like this is speaking to me today. You know, Toronto's really great um, uh, in kind of continuing the legacy of like auteurist cinema. Um, and they actually have a, I think there's a there's a section. Is it the masters section where right. they usually kind of highlight? I don't know if this. I think was she in, was in there. Was she yeah. considered this? Yeah, mm-hmm. because you know because we, we were talking about this of you know this year seemed to lack the you know the masters that we've become come accustomed to seeing at the festival in years past. But this was one that you know certainly the sort of hardcore cinephiles were made you know made a point to see and. Um, you know, a lot of people have, you know, just I, I didn't hear anything negative about this film. This mm-hmm. is something where you know, they feel like she's, you know, she is someone to really pay attention to now as one of the major artists of this generation. So. And I had only seen Holy Girl, mm-hmm. which I saw um, in New York when it came out, um, whatever, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't that stoked by it. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't rushing to it because I was a big fan of hers, but mm-hmm. I was interested. I mean, it's yeah. odd to take a decade off. Um, and just to come out with something lavish and epic uh, and gorgeous um, it was it was pretty surprising. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned you know, kind of thematics and you know kind of what how certain trends emerge within the festival. Where there seems to be like, why is everybody making films about the same subject? I mean, she's doing kind of she's doing her own thing, but mm-hmm. you know there was there was one year where there seemed to be a lot of. Films that were in the Swiss Alps for some reason, <laughs> or like, or that use mountains, you know, as a, as it was a year of clouds of Sils Maria, and uh, okay. a few others. I forget, I forget what the other ones were, but it seemed like every other movie I was watching had had some significant scene in a mountain uh, within it. But you know, that sometimes happens with the festival. This year, I felt like there was this like, year had a lot of sand. This year had a lot of factories. I thought well, a lot of a lot of things about yeah, yeah a lot of a lot, a lot of, of stuff labor. about a lot of labor. I said dignity of labor. of labor was I I, I uh, mentioned to our our friend Dan Graff over at the over in labor studies uh, that you know that this there was a lot of films dealing with labor this year. So so that would be my gold. Good, um, and we'll bring it. Um, it will be it's great for a college campus for yeah. South Bend. Um, so I'm excited by that. Great. And um, for your gold medal, who's that going My to? gold medal, um, this is, you know, if, if for people that know my interest. The Grolsch sponsored this gold is the medal. Grolsch, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. We had to drink Grolsch at parties, that's, which I haven't had since, mm-hmm. I don't know, since the 90s, I think. But anyway, the um, uh, I pl- if, for people that know my interest, this is me playing it safe. Um, it's a it's a documentary uh, by the great Fred Wiseman, who I, I understand is 87 years old now. 87 years young. 87 years young because he's still going. Um, so he's known for um, a variety of documentary films, but he has a very particular approach where he takes a subject and kind of goes in and observe. Very observational. Doesn't you know? You never see Fred on camera. He doesn't do any direct interviews and just kind of observes what's happening in his subject and then gets the hell out of there and, and makes his, his movie. They're usually and he very, makes shorts, right? Uh, sometimes. sometimes <laughs> he makes short. Kidding. Boxing Gym was relatively short. We've featured several of his films over the last couple of years um, at Berkeley, um, uh, the Nas- uh, National Gallery, and um, – Oh, in Jackson Heights, and they are not short. Those are those three in particular uh, clock in somewhere between three to four hours, depending on which film. Uh, this one was three and a half hours, and it's, the title is Ex Libris or Libris Libris. Libris my, my Latin is escaping me because I never studied Latin. Um, but it's a uh, Ex Libris, the New York Public Library. 
who could be more excited about it? And, and I told some guy in the elevator who asked me, what did you see at the festival? I said, I just saw a three-and-a-half-hour movie about the New York Public Library, and it was the best thing I saw at the festival. And he, he looked at me kind of funny after that. But, <laughs> um, but it's a great – but it's one of these things when Fred finds the right subject, he just – you know, he can really dig in, dig in and find some really interesting components because what he does is he takes the main branch of the library as kind of a starting point and then he goes out to – all of the different satellite branches, so ah, it goes out to... Hence the um, X. Is that what the X is for? Wouldn't it is be that, outside library? Oh, maybe that, maybe. Or something maybe, like that? Maybe. XO? Um, I don't know. But he goes to the Bronx. He goes to... Um, I forget where some of the other neighborhoods are, but... Um, so you get to see kind of different aspects of communities and how they engage with the library. Um, one of the, the sort of the driving, you know, Fred will often kind of work in a, a kind of a, a, a continuous subject over the uh, over the course of his films. And in this one, um, it's about efforts to make um, uh, to set up uh, Wi-Fi hotspots or you have the library be a source for people to sign out uh, technology to, to set up Wi-Fi hotspots. So for people who can't afford, you know, Internet service, they're able to go to the library and they get one year, one year access to uh, whatever it is that, that, that allows you to create a hotspot. Hmm. I'm technologically challenged, so I can't remember what it was. But, they, you know, they, they, they follow how this, you know, the, the sort of the administrative process behind that. And then you kind of see people coming in and, and um, you know, setting that, setting that up for themselves. But you also see, you know, you go from the range of, you know, uh, uh, a, uh, a dance class for elderly people where they dance along to uh, Cool in the Gang to um, – to <laughs> Celebrate? Is it celebrate? Celebration. Of course it is. <laughs> There's a high point in the film. Uh, and then you know, to talks by um, uh, Elvis Costello and Patti Smith you know, that are kind of more uh, high-profile events to galas where they you know, decorate the library in very beautiful settings. It's a beautiful – the physical space of the, li- of the main library anyway is, is really um, quite impressive. Um, but it's also really great to see it in relation to these other uh, locations in the city. Um, it's just – it's a film that you know, he just – I think when he, when he has a big meaty subject like that and he can kind of bring in all these different elements, he's really at his best um, because he – you know, he reserves judgment. He, you know, he really leaves, gives you open space and open time. The, the length of his films, I think, gives you a lot of time to kind of sort through and, and make your own judgments or assessments about about what you're what you're watching. Um, I have a I have a question about how he's making these films. So um, I don't think this, I don't mean this to be ageist, but oftentimes when you have filmmakers who yeah. are um, like octogenarians. They tend to have an assistant who's coming up under them, mm-hmm. uh, who's really involved. Do you happen to know? Does he work closely with someone? Well, I mean, historically, what he did, he had he was known for this incredible minimalism, where he would he would actually do sound recording on his films, and he'd have someone else shooting, and they had this set of cues where you know he would he would kind of direct the cinematographer based on you know kind of where he would be placing the boom, but also you know he'd use a set of hand signals with him. Um, I think it's gotten more involved than that, but it's still. From what I understand, it's very minimal, and I haven't revisited. I used I used to study Fred's films years ago, so I used to know a lot more about the process. Um, but if you just looking at the credits, um, there does it, it still seems to be a fairly you know maybe there's one or two one or two camera assistants. Um, but you know, given this this looks like it was shot, I would think over at least a four month time frame because I know it ends it ends at, at Christmas, and I, I 
thought it started at, at you know, kind of midsummer. Um, so maybe it's even more than that. But um, but he usually kind of comes into a place for about three weeks, shoots, and then and then goes out and and goes through a very long editing process. What he's what he, you know I, I would say the one of the great strengths of his films is that his editing uh, is really solid in terms of how he you know works from all the footage uh, that he that he compiles on his shoots. So yeah, so I don't know if there's a if there's a you know a Fred in waiting that he's been kind of bringing up. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like there is, and it, you know, you compare it to you know the the directors of his generation, like Albert Mazels, who just passed away, or D. A. Pennebaker. They're kind of you know they they've had other directors work with them, mm-hmm. but not necessarily anyone that's kind of being molded to be the next one of them. I would say so. Yeah, but he's great. So if we do show and working that, working on another film, right? Yes, he wasn't there at the festival because he's 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 busy shooting more film. So. Um, but if uh, if this is one we show, I would, I would really encourage you to take the time. It's you know it's it's like a it's like an afternoon of binge watching. But um, but this was you know one of the reasons one of the things about the length is that I didn't get to see like I didn't get to see um, Lady Bird and a couple of other things because I committed to an afternoon watching this, which was totally worth it. Okay. So so that was Toronto for us this year. But um, we'll and be- hopefully we'll have these six films and. Um, or some set of them at yeah. uh, the Browning next semester. Yep. I think they, Probably that's mostly most of these yeah. will have a distribution open up. So those and many others. Great. That's all we have. So uh, until next time, see you.